Welcome to r slash pro revenge, where OP ruins her cheating ex's life with just $8.50. Our next Reddit post is from Revolutionary Ant. When I was at university, I started dating this guy. At first, he was wonderful. He was dedicated to his studies, fun to be around, attentive, always surprising me with things, and working hard at his job. Then, bit by bit, things unraveled. He started skipping classes. Then, he barely bothered to go at all. Worse still, he never helped around the house. He never washed up, cleaned up, did laundry, anything. He was even fired from his job for too many no-shows. All he wanted to do was sit at home and play Xbox or browse the message boards and forums. This left me having to pick up extra shifts, sometimes double and triple shifts, all while going to class and studying. I later learned that this was a pattern for him. He'd get really dedicated to whatever he set his heart on, but then get bored and fall back into old habits. Then he'd find a new passion and rinse and repeat. I knew that I should have ended the relationship much sooner, but I held out hope that he would snap out of it, that maybe it was just exam stress getting to him. I desperately wanted things to go back to how they were, but it wasn't meant to be. I caught him cheating and I threw him out. I was so stressed with everything that it wasn't until the next day that our joint savings account crossed my mind. There was a little over 5,000 pounds in there, and with the exception of a few hundred bucks from him, the rest was money that I'd saved. I checked the account, and all the money in it was gone. My ex had cleaned out the account and moved into a new flat with his side chick. I called the bank, but there was nothing they could do. He was authorized on the account. I contacted the police, and they told me there was nothing they could do since it was a joint account, so nothing criminal had happened. They suggested taking it to a civil court, but they said that I'd probably spend more money than I got back in legal fees, so it likely wasn't worth it. My ex had stolen 5,000 pounds, and there was nothing I could do about it. I felt like such an idiot. I got even angrier when I saw his posts online boasting about new game consoles, new games, new TVs, and gadgets. All bought with my money. I'm usually not a vengeful person. Petty on occasion, sure, but I've never wanted to exact revenge as much as I did right then. And I knew just how to do it. While I was a student, I tempt every summer to help pay for my studies. One such job had been for a debt collection agency. The work was as awful as you would imagine, but it paid really well and I only worked there for a few months. My ex had been dodging debt for many years, and he was very proud of that fact. He was also proud of the fact that his debt was close to being statute barred, and he hadn't paid a penny. For those of you who don't know, in the UK, creditors have about six years to collect a debt, and then it becomes statute barred. That means the money is still owed, but creditors have no legal way to enforce payments, such as using bailiffs. My ex was a few months away from reaching statute barred status. However, what a lot of people don't know is that making a payment on that debt resets the clock. If you pay any amount, then that six years starts over from scratch. Previously, I'd used my insider knowledge to help him dodge the debt. Now, I would use it to hit him where it hurts. By the end of our relationship, I was handling everything, including his debts. I had his paperwork, so I knew who he owed and how much. I called up his creditors. I was honest and said that I was a friend calling to make a payment on his behalf. I didn't pretend to be him because that would be a big legal no-no. 
They weren't allowed to disclose any details, but they were able to take payment. I paid the minimum I could on each debt, about one pound on most, but on one he had a minimum payment of a pound fifty. That was the best eight pounds and fifty cents that I've ever spent. I also made sure to give them his new address and contact details, as well as his parents' address. Having worked in the business, I knew they wouldn't change the address since I wasn't the account holder, but they would take note of it. They had various systems where they could search for his name against the addresses and see if anything came up. If they got a hit, they'd change the address themselves. The trap was set. All I had to do was wait. A few months rolled by. Then it happened. His posts online went from boasting about his new gaming PC to panic about a court date. He called me and begged me for advice. I told him to F off. Since I wouldn't help him, he asked for advice online. One of his online friends told him to not show up to court. That way, they wouldn't be able to prosecute without him being there. It was terrible advice that was 100% untrue. In fact, not showing up is one of the worst things that you can do, especially in civil courts. This was getting better and better. The court date came and went. My ex, naturally, didn't go. A few weeks later, my ex posted photos of his empty flat. Bailiffs had cleaned him out and taken every last one of his shiny new gadgets and toys. On top of that, he ended up with several county court judgments. These are a big deal and can seriously damage your credit history, making it hard to get bank accounts outside the basic ones and nearly impossible to get credit, including getting a mortgage. And it can also make it hard to rent a place since many landlords don't like renting to people with CCJs as they're considered high risk. He also won't be able to find jobs in the financial sector. Now that he was broke and didn't have any nice things, his side chick left him. I never did get my 5,000 pounds back, but it felt good to see everything that he bought with his ill-gotten gains taken away. I hope that 5,000 pounds was worth it. Alright, so I didn't read the title of this post, but the title is My $8.50 Revenge on My Cheating Thieving Ex. And I was like, huh, what kind of revenge could you possibly deliver to someone for $8.50? But it turns out, quite a lot. Our next Reddit post is from Vlokinen Ventilarin. In September of 2020, the apartment next to mine was let out to two young women, both students. After they settled in a bit, it turned out they wanted to have a party. No big deal, except that Belgium was in full lockdown at this point due to COVID, and you were supposed to only have one fixed visitor over. But then, they were young, so I didn't really care. During this time, I was working in healthcare. I work with the mentally disabled, but I volunteered for the ad hoc COVID team, meaning I got called upon to tend to those residents who were sick and needed quarantining, or were effectively diagnosed with COVID. This meant pretty long working hours, and I spent about 10 to 11 hours a day at work on top of a full hour bike ride to and from work. Needless to say, I was tired pretty much all the time. So I wasn't looking forward to the noise from a party, but I'm pretty chill, and I know that living in a city, some noise is to be expected. So they're having their party, and I can stand some noise and music, but this party was effing wild. People full-on shouting in the hallway and wrecking things. At about four in the morning, I introduced myself to the neighbors, and I asked them when they could expect their about 20 guests to leave. Also, I asked if they could refrain from having a party the next day because I have work and I have to get up at 6 every day. They promised they would keep it down for the rest of the night. They didn't. And that they wouldn't have a party the next day. 
Plot twist, they did have another party. And then another party the day after that. At that point, I had been going a full three nights without sleep, and I was nearing neurosis. Every night I talked to these girls, and every night they would be full of apologies and stuff, but nothing would change. I also felt terrible when I had to enter their place, because it would be absolutely packed with people, and I work with some very vulnerable people at work who I wouldn't want to spread COVID to. This was pre-tests, pre-vaccines, pre-pretty much everything that we now know about COVID. Luckily, the weekend came and they went to their parents, and finally I could recover a bit. Suffice to say, I wasn't really liking my new neighbors. During the next few weeks, they refrained from big parties, but they would have a constant flood of people coming over during the night. And by constant, I mean constant. Like, their bell would ring 70 times a night, and people would always be coming or going. And those people would be drunk and loud. Our communal hallway is pretty much an echo chamber because it's all stone, and any noise will travel throughout the building. Basically, I couldn't really sleep at night. It drove me crazy. I could only sleep Friday through Sunday because then they would go off to their parents or whatever. I couldn't grasp how they knew this many people that would always be coming and going. During one night, while knocking on their door to complain about the noise, I encountered my upstairs neighbor. We decided that we would have to join forces to get this to stop. My neighbor told me an important bit of information. The reason there were people coming and going all the time was because they used their apartment as a makeshift bar slash hangout. During this time, bars were closed due to COVID, and all those students were using the big apartment to hang out. Moreover, across the street was another frat house with five boys living there, and that also was a secret hangout. So people would hang out at one of these two places, and they would cross the street if they wanted a different atmosphere or wanted to see their other friends, etc. And the boys from across the street would also come over 15 times a night. Most visitors seemed to be either law students or affiliated with them. Basically, our communal hallway was a bar now. So we tried talking to the girls. Then we started to talk to the visitors. None of them had any sympathy for us when we were asking them to be quiet at 4 in the morning. Most of them just laughed at us because we were the pesky neighbors, no doubt. Even more of them were just so wasted that they didn't even know what they were doing. So we started calling the cops dozens of times. Most times the cops weren't let in and they told us that they couldn't do anything. We kept calling because we wanted a record of our calls in the system. Belgium was still in full lockdown at this point, and what they were doing was full-on illegal. Even so, police told us their hands were tied if they wouldn't open the door. When the police couldn't help, I turned to the next best thing. I'm a social worker, so I have no problems looking up information and calling around to look for help, and this is what I did. Most places were understanding but couldn't really do much, so I acted on the suggestion of an upstairs neighbor and contacted one of the girls, Dean. I shot him a nice email apologizing for taking up his time, but I had this big gang of students that were getting together every night and breaking every possible COVID rule that existed at that time, especially since me and my neighbors were about to go to the papers with this story. Because at this point, secret lockdown parties were becoming a thing in the papers. The dean called me back right away and we had a nice talk about our problems. He told me he was on it. So basically what he did was call the law student girl and her parents. Big drama ensued, and we finally got to sit down with the girls, and they finally sounded like they were really sorry. Tears were shed, for which I had no patience, to be honest. 
We learned that cops had actually been inside a few times, and they were issued tickets for having secret parties. Each ticket was like 300 euros a pop, so I have no idea why they didn't just stop. We learned that they weren't happy because the dean had called them up at 11 o'clock and they were still asleep. To which I said, well, there's your problem. You're still sleeping at 11 o'clock. I'm up at 6 o'clock every day, and you girls haven't been a bit understanding about that. So from there, we kind of parted on good terms, hoping that this would have been it and maybe we could live together as nice neighbors. But if that were the case, then I wouldn't be here, right? You'd think that they would have gotten the point now and would refrain from making noise and partying. Well, you'd be wrong. Basically, they just moved to the frat house across the street and started partying there. There were slightly less people running to and fro, but the noise was still a problem. And we were now in the middle of the second COVID wave, and these people were meeting up with big groups like crazy. Meanwhile, I haven't seen a friend in almost a year. Never mind the people at my work who were forbidden from even going to their own freaking family members. The whole thing was just ridiculous. My upstairs neighbor happened to film such a party across the street and sent the clip to me. We were thinking about going to the press with our story, but weren't really sure if it would be a good idea. So, I posted the clip in our country's subreddit to test the waters. It got quite a bit of comments and upvotes, and it seemed that most people were also sick of people disregarding the rules and having secret parties. After I talked with the upstairs neighbor, we decided to contact the press and simultaneously go up a step in the university hierarchy and contact the vice rector that had the power to start up a disciplinary case against the students. This person is one of 12 vice rectors for a campus of about 15,000 students, so quite high up. Once we did this, things moved fast. The local news actually picked up our story from Reddit, contacted me, and I gave them some background info. They confirmed that cops had been to our address and the address across the street dozens of times, and most of the time they weren't let in. We mentioned that the university was involved and that we hoped they would finally intervene. The next day, the article was on their website. The story went viral and got promoted to websites of most national newspapers. It had a sensational headline mentioning the dozens of times that cops had showed up and also how healthcare workers had been kept awake by selfish students. At the same time, the vice rector contacted us to take our statements, and she informed us that she would investigate and would possibly start up disciplinary actions. At the same time, more reporters were contacting me throughout the day, and I made sure to let the vice rector know about that, too. The next day while I was at work, I got a message from the upstairs neighbor that a film crew from the national news was at our doorstep. He declined to talk to them, but they made a segment anyway. And sure enough, that night at 7, my street was on the national news. The best part about it was that a student from the offending frat house across the street had actually let the film crew in and said, on camera, exactly what we were accusing them of towards the university. That they'd been having parties, that they didn't let the cops in, and they'd done it multiple times. I have no idea what made him think that was a good idea. Well, eventually, the press died down, and the disciplinary action from the university went through. Before the hearing, we sat down with the law student girl and cleared some things up. We wanted to live like normal people together, and we tried to make some amends. Because we kind of put in a good word for them, they got the lighter end of the stick. 40 hours of community service and probation. The guys across the street got 80 hours each, and each of us had to write a letter of apology, which I thoroughly enjoyed reading every time I got one. 
The sad part is, most of them sounded just like dumb young kids. But that was only after getting called out on the news and being part of a disciplinary action. But we never wanted to escalate things this far. For the rest of the year, sending them a simple message on WhatsApp was enough to silence any noise that we heard coming from their apartments. So I realized that community service is like a pretty tame way to get revenge, but I think the real revenge in this story is being shamed on national media, as well as the fear and anxiety of being in a disciplinary hearing where you might get kicked out of school. That was r slash pro revenge, and if you like this content, be sure to follow my podcast, because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.